You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mic check, mic check. What's up everybody? Welcome back to the old nine-digit chronicles. I say that because I only have nine fingers. But every time I say that, my daughter goes, no, Dad, you only have seven fingers and you have two thumbs. So I, I, I get corrected a lot by the women in my life. And speaking of, of the women in my life, I'm playing a practical joke at this moment with my, with my wife. Uh downstairs she likes to listen to another podcast called the bob well it's a radio show podcast the bobby bone show and well we have surround sound downstairs that i get to control with my phone and this has nothing to do with hunting this is just a joke i'm currently playing on my wife and i am turning on the baby shark song from you know baby shark do 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 baby shark and i am doing that over and over and she's turning it back to her show and i'm playing baby shark again and uh i i know right now she's down there going what the hell's going on and as soon as she catches on she's gonna be pissed at me because i've i think i've done the practical joke too much i always tend to push practical jokes a little too far so uh Right now, I'm going to play it one more time while I do the rest of this intro. Baby Shark again. And there we go. All right, Baby Shark. So anyway, on today's episode, um, man, we got a, <laughs> we got a uh, awesome episode. And this is a perfect example of a guy who has been doing the same thing for a very long time. And due to unforeseen circumstances right he's that guy who 
kind of left the interior of timber blocks alone and he's been hunting field edges for a, a long time well some a lot of things have happened and it has caused the deer population to go down or disperse or move around and he's not seeing the same number of deer on his property that he has in the past so what he's done is he's moved his tree stands into the timber and on today's episode we're going to be talking with jim larose of new york and he's going to break down this ag country that he hunts in new york he's going to talk about the terrain the farms he has access to and how he has the ability to or how he created the ability to become more mobile uh, move things around become aggressive in his strategy and do all of that uh, with uh, you know young children and a, and a job that requires him to do a lot you know work some overtime as well and on top of that the story from the 2020 uh, 2021 season is one of those stories that i feel i i hear a lot a hunter is invested in a particular deer or a particular group of deer and some bad luck happens right in this in this uh um he put together a hit list of like three deer and one he had no control over uh two he had a little control over and uh the third the third buck he ended up harvesting so uh it, it's a, a story of not only making adjustments before the season and at, to your strategy as a whole, but making adjustments throughout one particular season. And I love stories like this because there are some guys out there that just have the drive to go out and get it done. And uh, this is an example of that. So awesome episode. Uh, huge shout out to uh, Jim for uh, hopping on today. Uh, but before we get into today's episode, real quick, I want to let everybody know that the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, has just put another video out on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. It is the third video in the series of uh, my South Dakota slash Nebraska hunts that I did this past fall and I'm going to be uh, and I have one more video left I believe uh, in that series and then I'm gonna you know come up with another little series at some point to do but my goal is to as the the network becomes more successful on the podcast that's going to lay the foundation um, for revenue I guess you would say I'm going to spend that revenue on producing video content as well so hopefully knock on wood all that goes as planned and I can start throwing some more really I guess you know it's going to be a little raw some of it might have some production behind it but uh, some cool videos for you guys to watch as well as listen to the podcasts that we put out so alright this time of year man i have a couple trail cameras that i haven't checked since i put them up in either september or, or october and i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna check those i think this upcoming week i got a farm i'm kind of hoping the snow melts i think uh this weekend monday or tuesday it's supposed to get in the 50s again and hopefully some snow that we just got melts and what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be going and documenting this. It's a 100-acre farm that I have access to. Actually, it's 105 acres. And I'm just going to, I'm going to scrub it. And what I mean by that is I'm going to go on a shed hunt and I'm going to look for sheds. I'm going to mark uh, potential tree stand locations. I'm going to mark scrapes. I'm going to mark 
rubs. I'm going to mark uh, trails, pinch points, uh, bedding areas, you know, food source, potential food sources. Uh, and I'm going to do that all on hunt stand. And I'm going to create a journal or a, a map of this property. And what I mean by map is, duh, map, you can look at it. But at the same time, uh, mapping out all of the data that comes with deer hunting and i'm going to use that this fall to determine where i want to set up some tree stands so this is a, a property that i've only hunted now for two or three years i can't really remember but i, I never put any I, I hunt it because it's close to home but i've never really break broken it down like i have my main farm south of here so it would be nice if i could uh you know when i run into some you know an afternoon off i can go and hunt this farm and uh, you know, learn it, and I'm gonna do that by documenting all of that on HuntStand. So if you want to find out more about HuntStand, go visit HuntStand.com. You can download it for free, and it's really afford affordable. I think you can get the Elite Package, which is you get everything, all the functionality for like 30 bucks a year. So uh, HuntStand.com, Wasp Archery, man, these guys just renewed with me once again. Wasp Archery, I love their broadheads. I don't know what it is about this brand, but made in America. Most of their products are made in America. Um, they're built from the best possible materials, design and engineering done in-house. And it is one of the, it's a brand that I, I've killed a lot of deer with their broadheads. And I'm going to continue to kill a lot of deer with their broadheads because I just trust the product. I'm, I'm confident in it. And when you're confident in your equipment, you're not thinking about it. And when you're not thinking about it, you're thinking more on the hunt. And that's when you kill more deer, man. So wasparchery.com, fixed blades, mechanicals, go check them out. And then uh, Ozonics, man, another another product that the functioni, the functionality in the field and out of the field with oz creating ozone is, it's amazing, man. I, I have seen some crazy things go down with deer downwind to me and it's it's not a magic pill but it helps and especially for the guys who have tight schedules and are looking to uh i don't know looking to make every hunt count throughout the year turn your ozonics on when you're walking into the woods helps uh, distort your access route turn it on when you're in the tree helps uh, distort your scent profile and then you run run your clothes in the dry wash bag and yeah and it kills all the scent on your clothing so i do have wait i got some discount codes here that i want to share real quick so uh ozonicshunting.com take a look at all the units that they offer and uh you know pick the one that uh, you can afford so hunt stand sn20 for 20 percent off uh wasp archery long this is a long one nine fingers the number nine followed by the word fingers 2021 for 20 percent off and then ozonics nfc21 for a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units and that's well worth it so and i think a dry wash bag is 100 bucks so you're really saving 100 bucks there uh other than that follow me on social comment be part of the, the Sportsman's Nation community. And uh, let's get into today's episode with Jim LaRose of New York. Three, two, one. All right, all the way from New York, Mr. Jim LaRose. Jim, how we doing, man? My bad, Dan. How you doing? I can't complain. I can't complain. Life is uh, really busy now. 
Uh, and I, I think we had a little bit of this conversation right before we started uh, recording this episode, but it sounds like our lives are, are somewhat similar in the fact that we're just kids. We're like in that kid part of our life right now where everything we do revolves around their schedule. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So how many kids you got? I've got two little girls. Are they two little girls and they're both in preschool? Uh, they have one that's four that's in preschool and they got another one that's two going on three that'll be going in next year. Okay. So you're, you're at the beginning of the, of the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, there are some times from a, from a parenting standpoint, I absolutely love hanging out with my kids. I'll be honest with you. I, I, man, I, I absolutely love it. But then there's also times where man, it is it is the most frustrating thing that can happen to a grown man. And I don't know, like, it, it's hard to explain. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll, t- I'll put it this way. How about this? And you tell me if you can agree with this or not. So you, you've just located a big buck and maybe you've been hunting him for a couple years. Maybe even you've had several encounters with him. You move into a spot and you know this deer, you have a really strong feeling this, this deer is going to come through this night. Maybe you even see him coming through. And then all of a sudden, some yahoos just walking through the woods and ruins your entire hunt. Or four-wheeler guys come by. Or something happens and it ruins all of the hard work that was just put into you. And you're very frustrated. And so that is what being a parent's like. Yeah, I would say that would be spot on so oh man it's crazy so what do you do for a living man i'm currently a police officer in central new york central new york um how far from like the finger lake things i'm in the finger Lake. oh you are okay cool yep um from what i've heard i've never been there it's gorgeous up there it is it's beautiful up here i do love it i hate New York State in general for politics and everything else, but I do love it is beautiful here. Yeah. Have you had to tase anybody recently? No. No. Okay. I don't know. I don't know why that no. question just popped into my head. Be- That's but- everybody's question when they talk to me. It's always like if they have used my taser or anything. Yeah. <laughs> How many years have you been a police officer? Um, In my eighth year going on nine eighth year now i bet you your stories compared to someone who is a police officer in new york city would be drastically different i mean do you get to see any crazy chaos or is it run-of-the-mill like traffic stops uh you know like that kind of stuff um where i work we're right on the outside edge of a big city so we end up getting a lot of spillover kind of a lot of the same thing your domestics there's been shooting stabbings all that other stuff Okay. We're a pretty busy department. Okay. All right. Well, it keeps you on your toes then, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, coming from, uh, I know I know a handful of police officers and some detectives and things like that. So thanks for uh, doing what you do, keeping us all safe at night. But, I appreciate um, that. Yeah. But uh, it sounds like you had a, a crazy slash unlucky 2021 deer season. Yeah, that's putting it lightly yeah 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 so let's before we get into the the meat and potatoes of the episode and and this story that will make some of us kind of shiver um let's talk a little bit about 
what the terrain looks like where you're hunting. I mean, are you running into a lot of pressure? Uh, you know, just kind of break down the area that you hunt and uh, how, how you kind of approach it every year. Okay. Um, I hunt in big ag country mostly. There's a lot of ag around me. There's, but there's also quite a few chunks of big timber as well. We, we have one chunk that we have that we partially hunt that, I believe that that chunk of woods is probably almost a mile or two wide by like six or seven mile long. Um, so you have some, so you kind of get a mixture of both worlds of the, the big woods and also ag ground. And uh, also there's uh, where I am, there's actually like, it's considered forever wildlife in my state, but I think it's kind of what you would equate it to like CRP out in like Iowa or in uh, Kansas and stuff like that. Okay. All right. So almost similar to uh, like someone describing the Midwest. Yeah, I would say it's pretty similar. Okay. What's the terrain like? Are we talking big elevation gains or are is it very subtle? It's very subtle. I mean, there's some I mean, there is some elevation gain, but it's not it's not anything too crazy. Gotcha. Okay. So dropping down, you know, like, so anything that's flat up top is getting farmed or maybe some even river, river bottom grounds getting farmed. And then all the drainages kind of leading from the tops to the river bottoms are wooded areas. The wooded area, like with basically the property I hunt, it's, it's the bottom is all egg and then it kind of slowly slopes up upwards, like on a ridge up to the top. And then when it flattens at the top, that's all farmed as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, so big egg around with some smaller wood chunks, or and then everything else I hunt and on that farm is just basically small wood chunks surrounded by egg. Yeah, that I mean that almost describes in a way what I hunt here in Iowa as well. So, uh, are they on the same kind of corn and soybean rotation? Yep, corn, soybean, winter wheat, uh, hay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you know as you. As we start talking about some of these eastern states, New York, Pennsylvania, um, even Michigan, if you want to throw Michigan and Ohio, we have a higher population of people. Um, do you feel that? Do you hunt a lot of public, or are, is most of your adventures on uh, private ground? Uh, all of my adventures are on private ground. Okay. Uh, we're lucky to have a full family, friends that I basically consider them family. They own about 1500 acres and we have pretty much free reign of that and also i grew up on a dairy farm so i also have land uh closer to me that uh that i hunt as well that's my grandfather's that he owns okay so with that said then you know and i i can attest to this that just because it's private doesn't mean it's not pressured right compared to us if we're talking about public how with with all the ground that you have access to I mean, are you the only bow hunter, or are you are you the only hunter, or do you share that with several other people? I share with several other people. Uh, myself and my father, are pretty much the only two that really seriously bow hunt. There's one other guy who's somewhat bow hunts every once in a while. Um, there is quite a bit of pressure when it comes to gun season. There's a lot more guys that show up for gun season, um, but there's a ton of pressure on neighboring properties uh, on all sides. There's hunters everywhere and. Uh, also, too, with New York, they're just, with their tag allocations and stuff like that, there's just so many tags out there now that it's it's it's, it's making the deer, hard, deer hunting a lot harder now. 
Yeah. Explain that more for us. Well, they break up New York into regions. So like different regions that you're in, you apply for a dough permit every year. Well, I apply for a dough permit. I I always get two. They say, oh, you might get one or two. I always get two. And then all of a sudden there's another lottery later on where you can get an additional two more. On top of that, farmers have been getting uh, their like nuisance permits. Yeah. And in the summertime, they go out through with rifles, and it's 10-plus years. I mean, it's got to be doe only in the summer. And they also get 10 They also get ten in the fall as well that are just nuisance permits. And a lot of local farmers around us have been just mowing down deer 20-plus a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really, the past few years, it's really taken a number on our deer. Our deer herd is drastic, drastically declining. Yeah. So what what you're saying is that you over the handful of years you've been hunting out on the properties that you hunt in the in the, the neighborhoods that you hunt, you're talking you've seen you've actually seen a a, a decline in the the population of whitetails. Yeah, and the, the one guy that we hunt with, he actually lives his house is on the property where we have a largest amount of our ag, and he explained to us that. After season in the winter months, we have most of the food, so all the deer from the surrounding neighborhoods and stuff like that will show up to our fields. And he said it wasn't uncommon to see 60-plus deer out in the fields that night. He says now he's averaging maybe 13. Okay. All right. And, so you know, typically... Our deer numbers as a total have gone down. As like for, as a farm, we used to average, I think 2015, we were averaging 13 deer a year for the entire group of people. And the past two years, it's been like three and two. Okay, so, and that's for all seasons? Yep, all seasons, bow, gun. Dang. So, only three deer taken off 1,500 acres in the, uh, this past year or the year before? Is that where you were getting at? This past year was, this past year was three and the year before was two. Okay. That, that just doesn't seem right. You know what I mean? Like obviously for, for 1500 acres, even if, you know, okay. So let's just maybe, is that 1500 acres? What's the breakdown of ag versus let's just say cover I mean, for white tails? It's a majority ag. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, there is, there's good chunks of woods. I mean, there's probably, uh, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's large chunks of ag. So, I mean, your, your huntable ground isn't as, much like a 1500 acres might get condensed down to 500 acres yeah but still 500 acres of standing trees and cover even if that's crp should hold more deer than shooting three right so yeah um what about any disease any disease i I know that i was talking to a guy out in western south dakota he went on a shed hunt and he found like 30 dead bucks uh, EHD got them real bad. Have you guys had any, any known diseases going through your deer herd at all? EHD hit New York this past 2021. It hit to the north of us and to the south of us that I know. Um, I don't know what it's hit of us. I haven't had a ton of time with my schedule, my wife's work schedule to go out and really check out our areas. I mean, I didn't, with my trail cameras, I ran trail cameras all of last year's season. I was still seeing deer on camera. Um, and I noticed a lot of the guys that I talked to that got hit with EHD said, 
it wiped out all of their larger box. And um, I still have a few nice boxes that are still on camera. So I would assume that maybe it missed us, but I don't know how it would have missed us when it went from to the, just to the south and just to the north. Yeah, maybe you got a, got lucky and got a good pocket of it. Um, so with that said then, uh, as you start, you know, you're, you just mentioned you're, you're running trail cameras. So I assume that you have trail cameras out in the summertime and uh, you're, you're scout, you're trying to get an inventory of what deer to go after in the fall. Yep. I run usually about 10, 10 or 12 cameras of various different uh, companies. Um, started in July and then I usually run them all the way through to the end of deer season. Okay. So over the last couple seasons, you, you mentioned that there's been a low deer harvest on the property. Have you also witnessed low deer numbers, low, like lower buck numbers, or even just deer in general on your trail cameras as well? Yeah, I, I've definitely noticed a definite decrease in just the, the sheer volume of pictures. Like I would leave cameras out for a few weeks and come back with a few thousand pictures. Now I'm coming back with a couple hundred. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely... I mean, it is it is hard for me when the groups of does are all grouped up. I can't tell whether it's the, the same five does that keep walking by the camera, or if it's a different group. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell that fact of it. But I definitely have seen a downturn. But also, too, is our predator population is out of control. Well, yeah. What uh, what predator coyotes? Yeah, coyotes. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you this. That's a running theme that I've heard lately from just about every person I've talked to is predators in whether that's bobcats or that's coyotes or whatever, right? Even like an overpopulation in raccoons. Now, raccoons probably aren't going and taking down deer, but, um, you know, those kind of animals are really thriving right now and it's it's impacting the deer herd and impacting fawn recruitment and things like that so um i don't know like when you when you as you talk to to me about this do you also go to any type of conservation meetings with the department of natural resources and express your concern that hey maybe we're allocating too much too many tags in a certain area I've actually, the, the, one of the landowner's sons who hunts with us, he kind of goes as like a representative for the farm yeah. to several of these meetings. He's voiced his concern for years about there's been too many tags allocated to people. There's been too many nuisance permits allocated to people, but it seems like it falls on deaf ears. Yeah. And it seems like every year New York claims that we have the new record high harvest and everything like that. And I just don't know how much of that I believe. Yeah. And a lot of it, man, I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, it definitely could be just a pocket that is, is, you know, let's just say, for example, here's one thing that I've noticed uh, over the years of running trail cameras. I noticed that there was a high population of deer one year in my, uh, in my area. Lots of fawns were born. I saw lots of uh, twins and even triplets in some some of the on the trail camera pictures that I would see. Then, oh, you know that continued for a handful of years. Then I started noticing more coyotes work their way into the area. 
right? And for two or three yep. years, there were a ton of coyotes in on one of the farm. I had one picture with 12 coyotes in it. This is no joke. 12 coyotes in, in the one uh, trail cam pick. Then I noticed... I have something to with that too. Yeah, so then I noticed a dip in the deer population. Uh, the, the coyote stuck around, the deer population went down, and then the, the coyote population, uh, I now this past year, maybe just a couple, not as many as the previous years. So it's almost like this ebb and flow of, you know, the predators come in where the food is, the food kind of goes away, and the predators shift to another area that the, you know, the food is plentiful in. And so then the deer population kind of rebounds. I don't know anything about that. I'm just taking a, a wild guess, but maybe you're in some kind of one of those those low spots. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking that too, but it seems like every person I've talked to the past couple of years have all said that it's been a weird, hard deer season. Mm-hmm. It's like the past, I would just say, especially the past two seasons. It's, and I mean, I've talked to people who hunt all over the state, and they've basically said it's been a weird down year, a couple of years. So I don't know whether it was just a, couple bad winters and our winters haven't been horrible this year so i would think that it was just a maybe it's a predator issue or what but it seems like the past couple of years has really been down years for yeah. not just not just us but for a lot of people yeah so you go from a, a really good population of deer to let me back up a second how many years has it been what you would consider a poor population I would say that at least the last two, but I think it's been trending downward since probably 2015. Okay, so you're talking six six seasons, kind of. Yep. Okay. Before that, though, awesome deer hunting, lots of numbers coming through, all that stuff. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yep. There used to be. It used to be. I'd sit out in a tree stand, and you'd see. It wasn't on. It wasn't unusual to see ten deer a set. I mean, I, I very rarely would go out and sit and not see deer. Yeah. Okay. Granted, it wasn't always a giant buck, but it was, I was seeing a lot of deer. Okay. So with that said, then, um, you've had to change the way, you know, because hunting, hunting 10 deer a night to hunting two deer a night is probably a little bit different of a strategy. How have you adapted to the change in the population? I've actually, we've actually tried to, because we usually, with like the big chunk of timber, we would try to hunt the outskirts and kind of keep the big chunk in the center more of like a sanctuary and not bug them and just hunt the outside edges for food. In the past few years, we've really tried to hone in and kind of move in closer and kind of take more of a strategic look at, okay, they're betting here. I was doing a lot of off-season scouting saying, well, they're betting here and there's a lot of buck sign in this one area and try to move the stands in close to the areas, try to catch them in closer and maybe kind of hone in where they live and not kind of depend on the food like we used to in the past. Yeah. Okay. So what have you been doing? Um, let me ask you this, uh, though, before we get into that next question. Knowing that the population is lower, knowing that you want, uh, that you want to see more deer as a whole, have you limited the amount of deer that you're harvesting every year. So basically what I'm getting at is, are you saying, Hey, I want to take a proactive approach. I want to see more deer on the landscape. I'm not going to shoot this doe or this, this deer this time. And uh, maybe I'll only shoot one deer this year as opposed to two. 
yeah, we've been kind of trending that way for a few years now. It's kind of being smart about what we take out of out of the herd, whether it's just not taking as many does. I mean, we used to take a lot of does out, but now it's kind of trending downwards. I mean, I think we only killed uh, one doe this year and uh, one doe last year. Okay. And I mean, I, it wasn't that I wasn't lack for trying though, because I, I mean, I was trying to get one with the bow early season, but I never was able to get one. Yeah. Okay. So but we definitely are trending down where it's no one's nobody's filling two or four or two of their doe permits every year. That just isn't happening anymore. Okay. Uh, and so lack of numbers and a little bit of lack of numbers and a little bit of just straight up not shooting them so they can recover. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now you have this low population and now you have a different, like you got to, like you mentioned, you've already gone in and you've, you've taken a different approach. You're getting into the timber. You're doing a lot more scouting. Um, What have you been finding for, let's just, let's just say buck sign. What have you been finding for bucks, buck sign? How has the buck sign changed uh, in these lower these lower populations and are the mature bucks, you know, obviously uh, a buck to doe ratio may change as the uh, population changes, but are you still able to locate uh, like shooter bucks to go after? Yeah. I mean, every year it seems we seem to get a few. I mean, in New York, obviously our, our bucks aren't like they are in Iowa and out in the Midwest. I mean, uh, Three-year-old, 130-class buck is real. You're doing really good in New York. Um, but in my opinion, I haven't seen the scraping activity they used to see. Um, I, do, I used to have a couple spots where it was every year you could you can put money on it that under this tree there was going to be a scrape. I just really haven't seen it. I really haven't seen a lot of the buck sign that we usually see. And, I, and I've heard it from other guys that hunt the property as well that actually go out the farmer who actually goes out there and looks a lot more than i do and uh he said he wasn't really seeing the buck sign that he usually does see okay and uh so the buck signs down what how do you approach this lower population then aside from getting into the timber are you relying on trail camera data more i do rely pretty heavy on trail camera data most almost all of my trail cameras are within shooting distance of most of my stands where by the time season hits i'm in when i'm in walking into a stand i'm pulling a card to see what was in that and at that point what what was in that area between that time period that i was not in there basically gotcha okay and what are you seeing uh i've been seeing i mean i was seeing deer i i mean i the deer that i killed this year it was a cat and mouse game i was in one area and he wasn't and then I go back and check the camera two days before he was there in the morning during daylight. Um, there was still, I mean, I, I think this year I had more shooter bucks on camera than I've had in a lot of years past, but very little younger bucks. Okay. So I think the age class of what were, what was there, I don't know whether that means that there was a heavy fawn kill a couple of years ago. And then that's why it's like the older mature bucks are still around, but the, the younger ones, the younger, smaller bucks, I really wasn't seeing that many of yeah. I'll say this, man. I've noticed that too here in Iowa. I noticed uh, this year, I and, and granted, I hunted in Iowa this year. I hunted a uh, way less than 
uh, previous years. Okay. I only hunted like five days in Iowa this year. So with that said, I've noticed a lot of, uh, the medium, the three, three year olds, four year olds and older, maybe even some two year olds, but the, the forkies and the real, like the, the basket racks, I hardly saw any of those a on trail camera or B from the stand this year at all. So that's, that's got me thinking about what, what's going on here. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what I was saying. The same thing was I had a pretty good amount of three year old that I would have no problem shooting that were in the one upper 120s, 130s. There was three or four of them. And, I mean, that's usually more than – I usually get one or two, three or older deer, and then everything else is small or like a – I mean, I've killed my fair share of two-and-a-half-year-olds, one, one 10, 120-inch one deer. Um, and my Around here, that's still very good for a deer. But um, I definitely noticed that there's just definitely not the deer – the the younger deer this year for some reason uh you know that also could be hey there's a there's a plenty of mature bucks in this area keeping them out too you know what i mean that 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 very well could be yeah so let's talk about how you approach a season all right so you you're heavily getting you know getting intel from your trail cameras you rely on that a lot once the season hits and you have this trail camera data, how are you using that trail camera data to put moves on these deer? Well, basically, I just look at the look at the info on the cameras. I mean, basically, what I start the summer off as is most of the any cameras that are near a stand or stuff that I can drive a four wheeler to, and basically just the four running, step off, change cards, step on, and drive away, and not try to intrude too much on them, um, and then any ones that are out further out into like the feeding areas. And then I certainly slowly start moving everything in once closer and closer to season gets. And then I try to set up, uh, most of our stands are stands that haven't been moved in years. They just could either been the tried and true spots. Um, like I have two, I have two stands on either side of a bedding area that have been responsible for, I think we've killed 20 bucks out of between the two stands yeah. out of one bedding area. Um, but it's basically, if I've been using trail cameras and realistically more, even more so the scouting from the last, the previous years that I've moved a few stands inwards. Um, and then I've basically set up my stands where, I mean, I don't have a ton of time to hunt. I used to have a lot more, but now with kids, as you know, it's, yep. your time gets left a lot. So I set up my stands now where it's like, if I have a free evening to hunt, I have, a stand to go and sit in no matter what way the wind's blowing. Yeah. Um, and, and most of them, I mean, there's a few of them that are straight up observation sits where it's very rare that I'm going to get a deer to come close to me, but at least if I can put eyes on something that might help me make more of an effort or make more of a adjustment, on maybe where I want to go and maybe even set up another stand. Uh, I was trying to go into a mobile setup this past year, but I did, uh, I put an addition on my house and built a pole barn, so there went all my funds for any chance of <laughs> any chance of putting on the mobile set. Because I really, I've been listening to you and a bunch of other people about mobile hunting, and really want to try giving it a shot. Yeah. So, with the lack of time, you know, with kids, with jobs, with responsibilities outside of hunting, are you more? Because it sounds to me like 
you you're hunting less, but you're also um, you're you're not that aggressive. Are where where would you say you are from an aggressive standpoint on attacking a deer when you have the time to hunt with your limited schedule? I I was very very not aggressive whatsoever for a long time, and uh, I've been listening to podcasts, watching shows, this, that, and the other, and trying to kind of hone a new, more aggressive style of hunting. So I've been using, I've been moving more and more sets into a more aggressive stance to where it's, I mean, I have one stand where I won't even go in in the morning. I'll go mid-morning to sit because I'm afraid, I'm so far into the woods, down into like the bedding cover that I don't, I'm afraid that I'm going to bump something in the dark. Yeah. Um, it's one of those, I just, I definitely paid the price when eight tag suit more than a few years for just being passive and not trying to kind of go after these deer more so, but I've been definitely trying to improve on those skills. Yeah. So do you feel that the aggression has paid off for you? Uh, are you getting more encounters or have you been successful because of the, the newfound aggression? Yes. I actually, we moved a stand this year that was, actually a lot closer to where I wanted to be in a kind of a, we have a one chunk that's a little swampy and I knew there was deer in that area. That's more of a, like a, they logged it. So there was a bunch of uh, treetops and stuff. I knew there were bedding in there and I tried to get a stand pretty much almost in there. Um, New York, it opens October 1st for both season. Well, I got in there. I think my first set of the year was October 17th. That was how long I had to wait. Um, went right in there the first set of the year within the first hour of sitting there, I had a really nice, uh, I, I said he was two and a half. All my buddies were kind of ribbing me saying he was three and a half, uh, eight pointer come in. And I actually had him at probably not even five yards. And I let him walk. And I thought I was, I was like, I'd probably shoot myself in the foot. I'm not going to see another buck the rest of the season. But, uh, I definitely noticed that that tactic definitely did help with, I mean, I first set of the year and here, here's a, dandy for our area of a buck standing right underneath me yeah so as you're you're starting to see so here's i'm going to share how i kind of was feeling when i finally made the decision to be a little bit more aggressive in my tree stand sets um so it was almost scary you know what i mean like you start to question yourself like should i really do this should i really do this and then then you start to see these results and then you you almost feel stupid for the way you used to hunt did you did you have any of those feelings oh yeah i was always kind of afraid of going in any physics i didn't want to bump them onto a neighbor or i didn't want to basically turn a buck that i was after nocturnal just because i was trying to push it farther and farther um my father was a big uh proponent of the old climber stands he had two summit climber stands and he used to kill deer out of them all the time. And I always kind of scoffed at it because I thought it was just, it's just too much noise going in the woods. Too but intrusive. The more and more I've kind of researched and the more and more I've kind of watched and listened to podcasts, stuff like that. I, I just think that I'm kind of was being way too passive with all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're seeing results, that's just kind of uh that's the confirmation you need, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, 
As far as the property that you spend a majority of your time on, you've mentioned that you've gone in, you've kind of gotten closer to the betting areas and you've been a little bit more aggressive in your tactics. Talk to us about what these deer are doing in their, you know, when, when it's hunting season, how are, how are you setting up on them from their bed to food, food to bed pattern? For the most part, I mean, with the, with the smaller chunks that we, the smaller chunks of woods that we hunt, it's just you're basically praying that one of them cut through, trying to cut through a chunk of that woods, maybe picking up, try to see if you can pick up a doe in between the seas of corn that they're running through. Because before the corn comes off, it is really tough because they basically live in that corn. I mean, I'm sure you know that. Yeah. Um, and then for the in the big chunk of woods, a lot of the times the deer basically will stage out 100 plus yards out um we do have a pretty high acorn crop so they i've definitely noticed the past especially the past few years um they've logged it so there's a lot more cover there's a lot more top down it's not just wide open hardwoods that they're staging a lot in, in about 100 yards or maybe 200 yards inside of the woods just outside of the crops for an hour or maybe even longer just feeding on acorns just waiting for it to get dark to head out to the crop field okay so i've been basically planning on my and a lot of my spots were set up for those transition areas where they're just sitting kind of in that just milling around before they go out to the dark in the corn or the soybeans or whatever is out there and i've definitely noticed this has since they've logged it i think this is the this will upcoming season will be the third year that it's really um there's been a lot more deer in those staging areas because they feel a lot safer because there's a lot of that treetop cover that's not just open hardwoods. yeah man i love i i love those locations man staging areas for me are i love i love a staging area in the morning and i love a staging area in the afternoon uh i don't know what it is but you, you know like you hear you hear these guys I don't know. They say, uh, how do I put this? There's, there's all the big name hunters, right? And they all have their favorite places. You know, some guys like to hunt bedding areas. Some guys like to hunt food sources, but I don't know what it is. I see way less deer in these staging areas, but I see the right deer in these staging areas. So for me, I, over the years, I've, I've just really connected, I guess, with these staging areas and dude, I don't know what it is. And for the most part, a staging area has more of an easier access route than trying to hunt a food source or, well, a food source is probably the easiest staging or uh, access route, but, um, it's hard, like a bedding area would be harder. You know what I mean? So I don't know why, yeah. but for some reason, like a staging area, that's just, that's it for me. That that area that I was telling you about, where I've got a bedding area with a stand, I've got a stand set up on either side of that bedding, on either up the uphill and the downhill that basically covers. If the wind's blowing a certain way, I can hunt it. If the one stand, if the wind's blowing another way, I hunt in the other. It's basically a big bedding area that goes out into a staging area, that then goes out to the food. So that's where we kill a majority of our bucks. They come out of that bedding area and or going through that bedding area looking for does. And, and they then they hit that, that staging, staging area for a certain amount of time. I gotcha. Is that where you're finding so that, a lot of the sign at in that staging area? Yeah. Yep. yep. 
find a lot of finals there as well as I mean in that betting area as well. Yeah. Man, I love those I love those. One of my favorite spots to hunt is exactly um what you just mentioned. It's a long ridge the in- interior of the ridge away the further away you get from the field edge the th- kind of uh, uh it opens up just a little bit but then the ridge point at back is is pretty thick and then there's a staging area um from the ridge tip they start cruising to the east they hit the staging area they stage there they drop their sign and then uh it gets thick again and then they go through uh this little thicket of a fence row basically to hit the ag field and it's just this perfect concealment for them and uh man i don't know what what it is i I feel like i could write a a romantic novel called staging area the staging area (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) so all right so let's talk about your 2021 season now um how did it start off well, the first thing that happened October 1st was opening day. Um, I had originally, I've been running trail cameras all summer, like I said. Um, there was a buck that I had found matching set of sheds to the year before, or in the early season, shed season. Uh, he blew up to probably a 130 class, real heavy eight-pointer. Um, he was kind of one of my main targets, like, especially because I, uh, I knew that he was at least three years old. Um, and he had, and I had his sheds and I thought that was kind of pretty cool. So, and he was basically daylighting about right where I had a a stand set up perfect for him. So October 1st came, I didn't have time to go out. I was either, I don't remember if I was working overtime or or what was going on, but I wasn't able to go out. Um, uh, my father was, my father and the landowner's son got a hold of me that said that the, uh, deer had gotten hit over by the property but with a truck and it was dead and uh my the landowner's son went over to retrieve it um sent me a picture of it says do you know this deer and that was the deer i was after um one of your hit lists they ended up yeah yeah that was the one the one where i've got the matching sheds to and the one that i was looking to basically get on during bow season okay um he uh, they said that someone hit it with a truck. Someone called, let them know that it was down there. And the, the even bigger kicker of it was is the deer died within 20 yards of where I parked my truck to hunt that piece. Really? really? And I guess it was during broad daylight he got hit. Really? Uh, in October. So I wonder yeah. if he got jumped out of somewhere and uh, and was running away. And uh... Yeah, he could have possibly. I mean, the neighbor's dogs run near that area so i wouldn't doubt that the, one of the dogs would ran him out okay well um oh, that sucks <laughs> like man yeah I, that was that was not a good way to start your deer season whatsoever well it, the, here's the good thing though right for me i've chased deer uh a couple of deer in my life where i'm getting them on trail camera getting them on trail camera and then something happens and they're not on trail camera anymore and i'm like okay well that happens sometimes. Maybe they just popped over to a different area or different farm for a little bit. I'm still going to actively hunt this area and then come to find out the neighbor shot them and you spent, you know, a whole week hunting this deer and he was already dead. You know what I mean? Um, at least oh, so I've definitely had that happen to me more than once. Yeah. So at, sure. at least, you know, 
that this buck is dead and you can move on. Yep, exactly. So what, now that that buck, uh, was he your number one hit lister? No, he wasn't, but he was up there. No, he was up there. Okay. So he was in um, your top, he was one of the, he was definitely a shooter though, right? In your, in your eyes. Yeah. He was definitely no doubt if he came in, he was getting shot. Type yeah. Shooter. Yeah. Okay. So he gets shot. He's, he's, or he gets hit by a car. He's done, obviously. Um, what was your next move after that? Like, what did you have to do to recalibrate and then get back in the woods? Um, realistically, the first thing that hit was, is I had a, I was getting way, a lot more steady pictures of a short time 10 pointer that I was really interested in hunting. Um, he was out, uh, making a lot more of a presence in the big chunk of woods that I hunt. So he was obviously on the list and then the great big deer that I eventually killed, he was being more and more, um, visible on camera he was definitely not anywhere near daylight but he was still visible on camera when did you get your um, first pick he was, pick of that deer the the big one yeah. i had uh it was in july okay so you knew had, you knew about him in july and august okay oh yeah I, i've had i've got three years of trail camera pictures of this one deer okay so that kind of changes the so, game a little bit um mm-hmm. uh was this on a was okay so you had a hit list put together. One of the hit listers got hit by a car. So that buck, though, that you have hit three years of history with, was he your number one target then? He, yeah, he. I mean, the number, the one I had three years of history with is my number. He was the biggest deer that I think I've ever hunted, and he was also the one I've had all, most history with, and he was number one by all means. But I've only seen the deer twice during his entire time that I've ever known of him existing. And it was in 2020 Okay. and it was during gun season. It was never during postseason. I just, for some reason, he would just stay in those small chunks in the cornfield. He never would go into the big chunk of woods. And I, I, he was a ghost. You'd never see him during deer season. Okay. So was he one of those deer that stuck around all summer and then kind of disappeared then for most of the season? No, he stayed on, he stayed right on the farm. He just stayed on, he basically lived in a chunk that was partially owned by us and partially owned by the neighbor, one of the neighbors, which I was scared to death he was going to shoot him. He only owns, it's like a small little 10-acre chunk at his house, and I was scared. He was he had tons of pictures of him on his camera. I'm like, oh, he might end up shooting him. Um, he was basically nocturnal, though. I mean, for the most part, yeah. I never really, I, I, I would get velvet pictures of him during the day, and then once, he was hard horned. I'd never get a day or a daytime picture of him. Yeah, the old September shift, man. I, I'll tell you this: it's real, and it's yeah. A, I mean, it, some years it almost seems like a someone literally flipped a light switch and says, "Thou shall not make any daylight movement to the deer." Yep, and they straight up just stop, uh, or or this, or this deer followed that script exactly. Yeah, so um not necessarily stop moving, just stop moving in daylight. And, um, he stopped moving on daylight, at least on us. I don't know if he was over on the neighbors, but he definitely wasn't on us. Yeah. Okay. So now like, what did the, what did the next approach look like then? Um, after this, this buck got hit by a car, um, and you, you mentioned some short time 10, when did the big boy, uh, catch your attention? 
uh, and you said, okay, it's time to hunt him. I was, it was probably closer to the end of October. He daylighted twice right near the property line of, I have a stand that's overlooking a big chunk of corn that he would go by. There's a nice day. The farmers leave a nice long uh, filter strip. Yep. With just tall grass in it. And he, he was running that the end of October. It looked like he was possibly with a doe. Okay. I was like, maybe this is going to kick off and he's going to be around. It was right at daylight, right at, right at dawn. He was right within, um, probably within a hundred yards of that stand. Okay. And so I was trying to hunt that. Okay. So, but when did, okay. So you got, you got trail cam or did you get trail cam pics of him first or did you actually see him from the stand? Trail cam pictures. Trail cam I, the only time I ever saw this deer was when I killed him. Okay. So trail cam pics of him, you knew mm-hmm. he was around. Were you actively hunting any other deer at this point or were all chips in for him? That short time 10, I was okay. had in my mind, and there was a couple other, but there was, I believe, one other really nice, heavy eight-pointer that was on the property that I was, it was basically, if if the wind was in one, if the wind was out of a certain direction, I was hunting the small chunks of timber and the, and the ag fields for the big boy, and if the wind was in a certain other direction, I was up in the big chunk of woods after the short time 10 and that other uh, that other heavy eight pointer. Okay. So the w- uh, wind direction dictated where you were hunting. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So, yep. um, but you, you, you had a little bad luck before you ended up harvesting the, the big boy, right? Yep. Walk us through what happened. So November 11th, I, uh, actually got the wife to go along with it. And I was going to, I had a, it was this deer season was a weird season where, Wind direction would shift at midday, almost kind of, I mean, we, we had to happen a lot, but a, a lot of the time, the wind direction pretty much stays constant where I'm at for the day. Yeah. Well, it's the, for most of the time, it switches. Well, November 11th hit, and the one stand that I was talking about with the bedding area, with the food and the staging area in the CRP, he was, or the wind was set up perfect for that stand for the entirety of the day. Okay. So I went into that stand saying that I'm going to sit the entire day. My wife actually was off of work. I don't know if it was a weekend. I can't remember. Um, I, I, said, I said, I'm going to get there before before daylight. I'm going to sit the entirety of the day, pack food, water, and I was going to sit there the whole day thinking maybe I'd, it's a November 11th. They've got to be out cruising. Um, I didn't see anything all morning. Uh, at around Right at around noon. That short time ten come uh, up the ridge and then basically paralleled me at I'd say about twenty five yards. Uh, he got behind a tree. I drew, and of course he decided he wanted to stop behind that tree for an extended period of time, which felt like forever. I don't know how long it was. Um, he took one step. I let the arrow go right where I, when I I watched it hit him. Um, I'm shooting uh, seventy pounds. I have a thirty inch draw. Uh, my arrow weight's like at 600 pounds. I've got 125 pounds, 125 grain cut on contact rod. So it blew right through them. So I didn't even see where I hit. I didn't see like the arrow. I don't have a lightest knot, so I didn't exactly see where the arrow hit. 
he ran up and around and cut down the hill from me, and he stopped to look at me, and he was within range, but he was looking straight at me, and I couldn't get another arrow. Uh, I could see where the arrow hit. It looked like it was perfect up and down, but it looked like it was center by. I, I figured it was liver hit. Yeah. And then he proceeded to go down the hill and out of sight. So I waited an hour before getting out of the tree stand. I went out and just checked my arrow quick. I found my arrow, and it was 100% liver shot. He, Real dark blood, no gut smell. I, I, I knew exactly where I hit. Um, I, so I put up the arrow. I walked up and got on uh, our ranger and drove down to the barn and called my father, a buddy, and we decided we were going to go up and track him four hours later. So it had been about five hours from the hit. Yeah. So we went up to look for blood, found very little blood. And uh, so we ended up calling in a dog tracker, who is a retired police officer that I know. Uh, she came out with her dog that night. Uh, now we're talking seven or eight hours after the hit. Uh, we ended up uh, tracking. Another thing, too, with tracking him, blood trailing him, was is we ended up getting really high winds in the evening like 30, 40 mile an hour gusts oh and boy. the leaves were all dried up and it was like a tornado of leaves. So us trying to find blood was next to impossible. Dang. Um, so the dog ended up after about an hour of searching, the dog ended up finding the buck and jumping the buck up. He was still alive. She, I wasn't, I was sitting in what we thought was last blood. She went ahead of me and I could hear the dog going crazy. My buddy was down there with him. And my father, he grabbed the dog. She was the, said the deer jumped up, ran maybe 25 yards, bedded back down, and laid its head down like it was hiding. So she got up. She's licensed through the state to dispatch the deer. So she was going to go up and shoot the deer with a pistol. Um, she walked up to shoot, try to shoot the deer with a pistol, and the deer then stumbled back to his feet again and slowly walked further down the hill. And she said that we're backing out and that it was going to be for sure he was going to be dead within 100 or 200 yards where we last marked him. Yeah. So the next morning, myself uh, and two other guys went up to look for, basically look, it rained the entirety of the night too, like one or two inches of rain. Dang. Yeah. So there was no, there was no looking for blood. It was just a grid search for a body. So we ended up looking for a few hours, couldn't find any sign of him whatsoever within. We did grid search within 100 yards of every which direction, could not find him. We ended up bringing the lady back in with a dog. The dog couldn't do anything either because of the amount of rain that we had. Um, He was angling towards the neighbor's property. I thought maybe he might have gotten down there. But he, that, for him to get that far was going to be four or five, well, probably more close to 600 yards, which I never thought in a million years he was going to make it that far, judging by the way he was acting. Yeah. Um, he ended up, we don't know where he ended up, but like where where I hunt, it's basically the boundary line of your woods. You might as well build a wall. There, There is no going into the neighbors. There is None of the neighbors get along. So there's no calling to ask permission to go down in there because you're not going to get it. You're going to just, they're going to tell you no. So um, we searched everywhere and I went back. We had a few good days stretched right after the deer season ended. And I went up and looked 
even further for that deer and never found them. So I don't know. It just it, it was so disheartening just because of the fact that I know it was a mortal hit. I know he was he's dead somewhere, but I just don't know where he went. Yeah. Dang, that sucks, man. That feeling that that feeling just sucks, especially if you like based off of what you saw while you were tracking him. Liver hit. It's a liver hit. I mean, liver hit. I've watched deer like arch their back in severe pain, walk 40 yards. My, my buck from 2017 did that shot it, yep. shot it a little back in the liver. And, uh, I smoked it passed through it piled, it hunched up. It walked 40 yards and fell over dead. And that's yeah. how, that's how fast that liver shot went. So were you a little, did you, at the angle, do you think maybe after you've had time to rethink all this, was it a little high or a little high and back? You think? I think the I think it was the straight liver. I mean, it was he was pretty much completely broadside to me. I blew right through. It was like perfect up and down for a double lung hit. Maybe it. it I mean, not even high double lung, like perfect. Yeah. In mid body. I mean, I'm shooting a cut on contact broadhead, so I can only see like a small little hole on him where it was hit. But I thought if I was any farther back, I would have gut matter on the arrow or some sort of bad smell on the arrow, and the arrow had none of it. Yeah, yeah, man, that sucks. Uh, sorry for your loss. <laughs> so, uh, so after that happens, right? Um, that's that's yep. two that's two bucks now that are you yep. know realistically that's the the uh the chance that uh, a liver shot buck comes back around and you get a second opportunity that is like slim to none uh so that's two bucks off of the the list for you um what uh what was kind of going through your head and and like how did you uh, i guess recover from that uh, i i went to a pretty dark place at that point i hung the bow up i said i'm i'm I drew blood on a buck with my bow tag. I said, I, I'm not going back. I said, I, I'm going to try to keep looking for him, but I'm not going back out. I said, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm done bow hunting for the, for the year. I mean, the gun season was a week away. Yeah. So I said, I, I, I'm not gonna, and I had thoroughly disrupted the woods for my father the entire time with a dog and a person and four guys walking through every square inch of the place looking for him. Yeah. And I said it'd be best. And the way the wind was set up was I was going to be back in those woods. And I said I'd rather give it a week to cool off, anyways, before I'd want to go up there hunting. And I knew the Orange Army was coming to hunt. And I, I basically decided that bow season was done. And I mean, I didn't have a lot of time to hunt at that point, anyways. I had stuff at work, and I had stuff to do at home with my kids and my wife. And I figured it better. I was burning what bridges I had, anyways, trying to face either this deer or the big one. And uh, I decided I was going to go play nice for a week with my wife and my kids and work. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so then how long, I mean, at the same time, I know, I know a hunter, right? So you're, you're, you're yep. bad. You're upset that you didn't get the job done on that buck. But at the same time, there's another deer that's probably still walking around in your head. Oh yeah. Yeah. Same dude. It's been walking around my head for two seasons. Basically, yeah. So exactly. So like, then what happened? I mean, 
like, how did you get, how did you get back into the stand at that point? Um, basically, I mean, New York is very similar to Pennsylvania or Michigan in that the opening day of gun season is like Christmas. There is nothing like it. It's the tradition. It's the camaraderie of seeing all your buddies hanging out in the skin shed before going out and coffee and donuts and everything with it. And, um, it's really my favorite, one of my favorite days too, because I always hunt within a hundred or within 300 yards of my father. Yeah who got me into hunting. So it, whenever he shoots something or I shoot something, we're always right there for each other when it happens. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a great time for me. Um, I was basically moped around the house, miserable and everything like that. Um, so it got to be opening day of the gun season. Um, I believe it was November 19th. So I decided the wind was set up perfect to go hunt that bedding area again. And, I said that heavy eight pointer still around. I never, I never get pitched. I never, I've seen this, the, the big boy on the 2020 season. I saw him twice during the gun season in that big chunk. Cause I think once the corn goes down, he goes in there for cover. He doesn't stay out in those little chunks cause he's exposed too much to go out and feed. So he stays in the bigger chunks. Plus that's where all the does go when all the corn is gone as well. So that's where he's going to stay. Okay. Um, I saw him twice during the 2020 season. Both times I saw him, he was too far away and, or it was too thick to ever get a shot at him. Um, so I went out with my father, uh, sat in that one stand on the hill and I proceeded to jump what sounded like a herd of 20 to 30 deer, but I'm sure it wasn't that many, but it sounded like that running through the woods in the dark, trying to get into the stand. Yeah. So I already was down in the dumps, kind of upset, like, oh, this, this day is just not going to be going my way. This season's not going my way. I climb up and sit in the stand. I immediately had deer around me all morning long. It was uh, just basically a couple of those, and there was two button bucks that were playing around all around by me a few different times uh, that, that day. Okay. I actually heard a button box snort weed, which I almost laughed out loud. <laughs> he was right underneath me and he snort weed and I almost I almost like chuckled out loud. I've never um, seen that before. I've never uh, I've, I've never seen a, a button box snort wheeze. I never have either, and he was right underneath my stand. Him and his little brother were playing around and he did it and I was like, Oh my god, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. So morning goes on. There wasn't a lot of gunshots that day, which was shocking. Um, I heard my, my dad's friend shot up a, that he hunts with up on top of the, we call it the knob where he hunts and he was up on top there and his uh, buddy ended up shooting a little three pointer or something like that. And, um, I heard that. I was like, Oh, I, I, I heard the shot. I knew it was either my father. So I texted my father. He said, Oh, it wasn't him. So I said, okay. So I'm sitting there a little bit longer. I'm just watching these two button box playing around, just kind of hanging out. Um, 9.30 was, I usually sit all day on opening day too, because the amount of people that hunt in the surrounding areas, I mean, this was probably pushing 10 years ago. I saw 60 some odd deer in one day, just from the neighbors pushing like deer that I have never seen before. Just neighbors. A lot of our neighbors, their idea of hunting is just walking around, sitting on the ground or riding around in a Kubota and waiting for something to come out. 
type yeah. deal. Yeah. So they all kind of pile into our big chunk of woods and deer just come filing out. Um, so, so at 930 it was, I heard a deep grunt from behind me. So I turned around and I see a three does going up the hill from me, um, basically paralleling me at 60 yards. Um, I, I heard the buck grunt, so I grabbed, I had, uh, I hunt with a pistol. Okay. So I had the pistol on me. I saw the buck come up over the ridge. And I could see really nice twos and really nice threes, really big twos and threes. And I go, I go, that's a really nice buck. So I, I follow him. I put the first shot on him. He stumbles. Um, Looking back after I I actually processed the deer, I broke his. I went through both of his. I broke his shoulder. Went through both lungs, and and the, the bullet was lodged just inside the skin, just outside the diaphragm. Um, he ran another 10 yards and stopped and I shot him again. And that, at that point he went down, uh, in his tracks, he died within 50 yards of my tree stand in the wide open. And that was a pistol. You shot him with a pistol. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So, um, at that point, did you know who it was? I didn't. I knew it was a huge deer. He picked his head up, and the weird thing is, is this year he grew a four-inch split brow. Okay. In every single camera picture I have of him for 2021, I could not see that split brow in the picture. Okay. He just had his head turned just right where I never would see it. Gotcha. So I saw a huge split brow. I'm like, what deer is that? I don't know what deer had a split brow. Um, then Then he kind of... He picked he picked his head up one last time and then I got he has such long beans that I was like, It's gotta be him and he laid his head down and he was dead. Yeah. And so you had a, a you had a little bit of a feeling but you weren't one hundred percent sure. No. Okay. All right. So what was your first move after you watched this deer fall? Um my first move was is I called my wife. Okay. And um told her and then I called my best friend who was hunting. I didn't want to tell my father because my father knew my father and I were chasing this deer. I didn't want to spoil the surprise. I wanted to see his reaction when he walked up to the deer. So I called my best friend. He he was so excited for me. He said he had to sit down because his legs were shaking so bad. Um, he was hunting too. Yeah. And I got down. I FaceTimed my wife and my daughter was sitting on her lap. And I walked up and I picked up the head and my daughter goes, yay, daddy got a deer and was high five on the phone. That, that'll always stay with me. Yeah. Um, and I picked him up and I'm like, Hold, I said, it's him. It's gotta be him. And it's definitely him. Cause I mean, there's no other deer that's even close to him out there. Yeah. So you got out of the tree stand you you started walking over to him and, and you looked down and then like, what was, what was some of the emotions going through your head at that point? Uh, one uh, utter disbelief because yeah. I, uh, I've never, I mean, my, my next biggest deer is 50 inches smaller than this thing. I mean, this thing is just, you don't see deer like this around New York a ton. I mean, we have some outliers that are giant, uh, deer, but I just could not even put into words. It was emotional. I mean, my wife was like, you sound like you're crying. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty close. Um, <laughs> 
but also it was it was sad because it's like that I've had one other deer that I've had as much history with and when I found out he died it was the same kind of feeling where it was just like I'm not going to get any more pictures of this deer I'm not going to sit in the stand anymore dreaming of him walking through that opening or this deer isn't going to be it's like you play it all in your head so much and then you think it and then when it finally happens it's a quick blip and then it's over with and it's and it's it's so much longer when it's drawn out in your head yeah um, yeah that's amazing uh and then so for reference here you know i you know people who listen to this can't see anything what did what did he yep. score he i had him officially scored at the new york state hunters expo at 172 and four eighths gross 172 and four eighths and so yep when a buck like that gets dropped in your neighborhood and the surrounding uh you know like 170s just don't come out of that area every every year what was no. the was was there like a talk of the town or were your other hunting buddies like calling you all the time and and just like i can't believe it or what was the what was the 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 talk of the town uh i've heard from there was rumors flying around about what i shot the deer with what was going on like who shot it was there was people um my godfather who i haven't spoken to in years um just i haven't seen him yeah um was telling people about it and i'm like i haven't even seen you to tell you about it yeah um people were going up and showing my father pictures of this deer at his job They're like you see this big deer that got shot he goes yeah my son shot it <laughs> um just you send it to one you send a picture to one buddy and then he sends it to one of his buddies and it just keeps circling around and around and around yeah um no, it just you don't ever hear. He's he's a mainframe nine with a four inch split brow, and I guess he has um, five sticker points on his base that count. So he's a total of fifteen. It's horrible. Dang points. And uh, I nicknamed him Longhorn because of how long his beams were. Uh, both beams were matching at twenty six four eighths. That's a long main beam, dude. I have a I have a shed yeah. that I found several years ago and it's a 27 inch main beam and it's like the the tine, the tines aren't very uh tall but that's a that's a long 26 27 that man that's a long main beam. Yeah. So they said at the show was probably one of the biggest ones that was brought into the show. Yeah. Man, um, that's awesome. You got entered into the Northeast big buck. They do like a typical uh, gross typical score. He was one sixty two and four eighths with ten inches of deductions. Okay, so 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 he was one seventy, and then after the ten after. So what was he? What was he gross? That's all I care about. One seventy two and four eighths gross. One seventy two four eighths. Man, congratulations. Yep. Um, and I, I live in Iowa. Thank you. I live in Iowa and I've been hunting for several years and I've seen, I've seen big deer like that, but never, you know, never been able to capitalize on it. So someday, man, I hope something of that caliber walks by and I get, I get a second chance at it. But dude, sounds like in the moment of truth, you were, you were there and, uh, you took advantage of it and you were in the right spot at the right time and, and all that, all that good stuff. So, uh, congratulations on, uh, on a on a I guess a season of ups and downs, right? Yeah, that's for sure. It was a lot of downs and then one quick up. Yeah. And that up will probably last you the rest of your life, right? Oh for sure. 
Yeah. I'm sitting here. I got his racks in my in my house right now. I'm looking at it right now as I'm talking about him. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Uh, do you you're gonna get him shoulder mounted? Yeah, I want to do uh, uh, one of those uh, bourbon barrel pedestal mounts. Oh yeah. All right. Cool. Do that. I'm a big bourbon guy, so I'm gonna do that. But I'm, I'm building a little man cave in my new pole barn, and he's gonna be in there with all the rest of the deer heads. That's awesome. Well, uh, congratulations on uh, one hell of a, a season, man, and uh, shooting a, a, a giant, giant buck. And uh, for anybody who's listening, you want to see a picture of it, go to uh, social media, Sportsman's Nation, Nine Finger Chronicles, and you should be able to uh, lay eyes on it. And uh, But, man, Jim, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on. No problem, Dan, anytime. And there you have it. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Jim. Congrats on one hell of a season. Good luck in the future. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen. I I appreciate it. Please go to iTunes, leave a review or or wherever you download your podcast. Five stars would be amazing. Uh, And uh, man, let me know, you know, through, through social media, how long you guys have been doing this. Cause I've been doing the, the nine finger Chronicles podcast since like 2014, I believe. And so it would be nice to see if there's anybody out there who has actually listened to every single Nine Finger Chronicles episode. Um, Hit me up anytime. I'd love to chat. If you have an awesome story that you want to share or a a strategy that uh, you'd like to share here on on the podcast, hit me up. We'd love to talk about it. Good vibes in, good vibes out. We'll talk to you guys next time.